Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talks with the Gratitude Chick. I am your host, Luanza, aka the Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media accounts at the Gratitude Chick for Instagram and TikTok, the Gratitude Chick Luanza Christina, and Talks with the Gratitude Chick for Facebook, and Gratitude underscore Chick for Twitter. Also, head on over to Amazon to pick up my new book, 21 Days of Thankfulness, today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of your reading corner with the Gratitude Chick. So today we are finishing up, what is this book? (laughs) The... The Power of Awareness, sorry. I am reading out of Neville Goddard's Complete Reader and the name of the book just kind of slipped my mind because it's not there like it normally would be. So my bad. Anyway, we left off previously on um, chapter 22, which is where we'll, we'll start today. It's called Persistence. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him, unto him rather, at midnight and say unto him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him and he from within shall answer and say trouble me not the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed I cannot rise and give thee I say unto you though he will not rise and give him Because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. That's uh, taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 9. There are three principal characters in this quotation. You and the two friends mentioned. The first friend is a desired state of consciousness. The second friend is a desire seeking fulfillment. Three is the symbol of wholeness and completion. Loaves symbolize substance. The shut door symbolizes the senses which separates the seen from the unseen. Children in bed means ideas that are dormant. Inability to rise means a desired state of consciousness cannot rise to you. You must rise to it. Importunity means demanding persistency, a kind of brazen impudence. Ask, seek, and knock mean assuming the consciousness of already having what you desire. Thus, the scriptures tell you that you must persist in rising to assuming the consciousness of your wish already being fulfilled. The promise is definite that if you are shameless in your impudence and assuming that you already have that which your senses deny, it shall be given unto you, your desire shall be attained. So basically what this is telling me personally, and the reason why I'm taking it personally because, sorry, that's my phone vibrating. Um, The reason why I'm taking it personally is because recently I released a book called The 21 Days of Thankfulness, and um, it's not selling like I would have wanted it to sell 
when when it's your baby, your coming from your thought process and you give it all that you have and you think, oh my goodness, this is what people are going to clamor for. People are going to want this. And then to see it not sell the way you had, not just hoped for what you've written down that you wanted it to sell. um, It kind of makes you step back and say, wow, is this something that I really should be doing, especially since I gave up my six-figure job to pursue this dream. So that's kind of where I, what I've been feeling this week. But not only that, um, as you guys know, my Facebook page, The Gratitude Chick, was stolen from me. And today, um, it, it was stolen from me. I got an email from Facebook in October saying I have been removed as the admin and I no longer had access to it. Then the next thing I know, the page just disappeared. Well, today, I opened up my Facebook app and bam, the, pa- the page is there. I still don't have access to it, but I have 103,000 followers that I still don't have access to. And the person who stole my page still has my name, still has my face on it, and has been posting things that I wouldn't post. It's someone over in the Middle East who stole my page because it's, you know, in a foreign language, you know. So it's just, today has been one of those days that I'm just like, I feel everything is against me, you know what I mean? And feel being the operative words because I am manifesting that because I am feeling that way. So this right here kind of touches me because it says, thus the scriptures tell you that you must persist in rising or assuming the consciousness of your wish already being fulfilled. And it says the promise is definite that if you are shameless in your impudence assuming that you already have that which you which your senses deny my senses deny and are telling me that I do not have what I have written down as my goals my senses are telling me that I am feeling that way right now and this is telling me I have to push through what my senses are telling me that's opposite of what I want So for me, this is a big deal because I really had decided, you know, to just be grateful for the fact that the, the gratitude, the 21 days of gratefulness, excuse me, 21 days of thankfulness, a workbook journal that I had wanted to do since for the past two years, I finally got it out. I should just be grateful for the fact that I got it out. That is what I told myself to kind of pat myself on the back and woosaw myself for the fact that I did not reach the sales goals that I wanted for November. So, but this is telling me to push past what I'm feeling and persist in assuming the wish being fulfilled. So, we shall see what happens because, you know, I don't, I don't believe in coincidence. Um, I believe that everything happens for a reason. And there is a reason why I decided to record today and not just record, but pick up where we left off with this book, because I wasn't going to record. 
I was literally sitting there in front of my refrigerator cleaning it out when I decided to record. So like I said, everything happens for a reason. And obviously I was meant to kind of see this breakdown to persist. So it's, 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 when I tell you guys this, these things, I want you to realize that I am right here in the trenches with you. I am not telling you things that I don't know about. I am living this. You know what I mean? I am living this with you. So as you are going through whatever you're going through, I am going through whatever I'm going through. I am not one of those people that says, this is what I did. I'm already at the mountaintop. Let me show you how I got here. No, I am trying to climb this mountain, but I want you guys to climb it with me. Like I I just, uh, anyway. Okay, I'm gonna keep reading. Because I really can't, you know, just keep going and going and going. But I'm gonna keep reading. The Bible teaches the necessity of persistence by the use of many stories. When Jacob sought a blessing from the angel with whom he wrestled, he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. When the Shunammite sought the help of Elisha, she said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. The same idea is expressed in another passage. And he spake a parable unto them that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was a city, There, w- I'm sorry, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest she weary me by her continual coming. Luke 18, 1-5 The basic truth underlying each of these stories is that desire springs from the awareness of ultimate attainment and that persistence in maintaining the consciousness of the desire already being fulfilled results in its fulfillment. So basically, this is telling me to not give up. Not just not give up, but stop doubting. Stop looking at, basically stop looking at my troubles and start living in what it is that I want. And even though consciously I know this, it is a different story. You know, people always tell me it's easier said than done. This is correct, but it can be done. And I'm telling myself this right now. It can be done because all around me, people are doing it. Nobody said the road would be easy. The path is never straight. The path is often up and down and rocky. And sometimes the path is through an ocean. Sometimes the path is through mud. Sometimes the path is through utter shit. Sometimes the path you can't even see. So the path, the the road will never be easy to what it is that you want. But persistence is key. And I think the reason why the road is never easy is because while you're going through your journey, you are being defined, you are being chiseled, you are being cut down so that when you get to where you want to go in your life, you are the person that need that you need to be to to get the desire that you want because the person you are when you start at a 
cannot be the person you need to be when you get to Z. Because if that were the case, you would have received your desire at A and there would never be a reason for you to have to get to Z. So that I think is my issue right here is that I started at A and I wanted everything that I wanted at A. But what I want is here, over here, maybe J or K, right? So my walk or my journey to J or K or L-M-N-O-P or wherever it is, my journey there has not been a a good journey. It really hasn't. It hasn't been a good journey. It hasn't been one without thorns and thistles and... And all kind of craziness. It, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you just wake up one day and you're, and all of this stuff is a, like, <sighs> my journey has not been an easy one. But what gives me confidence right now as I'm speaking is the fact that when I get to where my dreams are, I can look back and realize how far I've come. How many, how many times have you made a goal or you wanted something and when you got it, you look back and realize all the things you had to do to get to the moment that you are right then and you were happy for those things. That is what I can't wait for because I want to be able to get to where all my goals are and then look back and then tell people the truth. Because so many times we see all these gurus and they're at the mountaintop, but they don't tell you how they have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what I mean? They don't tell you these things. They don't tell you the ailments that came up while they're traveling. They don't tell you the people that left their lives. They don't tell you how you were gossiped about and you were talked about and people left your life because you decided to give up your six-figure job. They don't tell you these things. They don't tell you how you're literally living in a life with no encouragement from those who love you. They don't tell you that. So it is my goal now, this is my goal today, that when I finally reach where I'm going, I will tell the story and I will tell it completely. I am not going to be one of those people that just paint you a lovely picture and then leave you out there. I'm going to paint you the complete picture so that you will know that if this is what you want in life, you have to fight for it. It is not going to be something that you... And and, 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 and I want to be very clear when I say you have to fight for it. Because I don't, I am not one of those people that believe that you have to work hard for money or work hard for anything. But I am one of those people who believe that you have to fight your own mind for what it is that you want. If you are a person who were, who was raised in negativity and now you have to get on this road of positivity, you have to fight against the negativity that has been affirmed in your life all of your life. That is what I mean when I say you have to fight for it. You are fighting against yourself at this point. You are fighting against the things that you have affirmed all of your life. Not just you, but the people around you as well. One of the things that I say in the book is that we have been taught that we have to work hard for for our money. 
And not only were we taught these things, but even when I say I, I have to work hard for the money, the, the song that comes in my, my mind is Donna Summers. She works hard for the money. And that, and when I, and when I sat there and I played that song when I was writing the book, she repeated that phrase 19 times in that song. That was a very popular song. So imagine your parents not only playing the song, singing the song, so they're hearing it as an affirmation, they're saying it as an affirmation, and everybody around you. So now they have affirmed it as truth. And now guess what? Movies are being made about it. You know, sitcoms, commercials, everything is telling you, you have to work hard for your money. Meanwhile, the 1%, most of them do not work at all. Their money works hard for them. Do you see? Do you see the difference? We have been programmed that we have to work hard for the money. But the rich are programmed that their money works hard for them. So this is kind of what I'm saying when I say you have to fight against yourself. You have to fight hard because the things that we are being programmed with television, movies, and music affirms our negative state that we're in. So we have to fight against all of these things by turning off the music that affirms a negative state, turning off the television that affirms a negative state, turning off movies that affirms a negative state, and replace those things with things that affirm the state that you want to be in. My state that I want to be in all the time is gratitude. I don't see any television or movies about gratitude. So for me, it is up to me to um, have gratitude pages on Facebook and and TikTok and Instagram to have this podcast. I am trying to get back to posting regularly like I used to so that you guys can come and listen to something positive to, you know, help you on your journey. Because I believe wholeheartedly that we have been programmed to be the 99%. And so that we never attain what the 1% has. It's only a, a little, a, a minuscule amount of people that break through the barrier from the 99 to the 1%. A minuscule amount of people. And that is because they were taught from infancy what it is that they can be, do, and have in their life that we were not taught. They weren't taught that they have to work hard for their money. They were taught their money works hard for them. And that is what we need to teach our children. That is one of the reasons why I wrote the kids book, My Little Thankful Heart, so that kids can learn as children before seven that gratitude is what is kind of the umbrella of where everything they want in life lives. If you practice gratitude every single day of your life, there's no way you will live in poverty. There is no way that you won't have everything that you want in life. There's no way that you won't have the love of your life because every day you're being grateful. Every day you're you're being thankful. Every day you are saying thank you. And gratitude and negativity cannot coexist. One of them will win. So if you're being grateful every single day of your life, guess what's going to win? The gratitude is going to win. And by the law of attraction, everything that you are grateful for, you will receive back to be more grateful. That's just by the law of attraction.
So again, sorry, I'm at 19 minutes and I went off on a tangent. So let's get back to reading. We're not even finished with chapter 22. It is not enough to fill yourself into the state of the answered prayer. You must persist in that state. That is the reason for the injunction. Man ought also to pray and not to faint. Here to pray means to give thanks for already having what you desire. Boom, I just said that. Only pers- I'm sorry for the boom. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's a habit. Only persistency in the assumption of the wish fulfilled can cause those subtle changes in your mind which result in the desired change in your life. It matters not whether they be angels, Elisha, or reluctant judges. All must respond in harmony with your persistent assumption. When it appears that people other than yourself in your world do not act toward you as you would like, it is not due to reluctance on their part, but a lack of persistence in your assumption of your life already being as you want it to be. Your assumption to be effective cannot be a single isolated act. It must be a maintained attitude of the wish fulfilled. And that maintained attitude that gets you there so that you think from your wish fulfilled instead of thinking about your wish is aided by assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled frequently. And I just want to stop and say that it is different to think from your wish fulfilled and about your wish fulfilled. It is totally different. It is the difference in daydreaming, seeing seeing yourself in Bali, or I'm sorry, yeah, seeing yourself in Bali, or seeing yourself at your desired weight, or seeing yourself with the money that you want, or seeing yourself with the spouse of your dreams, and living from that. Go, you see, experiencing Bali with your husband or your wife or your spouse or whatever. Um, feeling the money, you know what I mean? Writing the checks, buying the, the products or whatever it is, you know what I mean? There's a difference in seeing it and doing it. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm trying to, sometimes you can't really articulate what your mind is saying. So it's kind of like watching television. It is the difference in sitting on the couch watching television and being the actor in the in the show. That is the difference. You are what you see. You see what I mean? It is if you're watching what is the show? I don't really watch much TV. Um, I'm going to say Law and Order SVU because I know that show is still on. So it is the difference in watching Mariska Hargitay and being Mariska Har- Hargitay. You know what I mean? It That is the difference in um, thinking from your wish fulfilled and seeing your, fi- your wish fulfilled. I hope I explained that correctly or maybe he explained it better. better but I just thought I would stop and say there is a difference because I have daydreamed all my life and those daydreams have never come to fruition but it is also me just seeing something you know what I mean and it is much different than being like me being the star and feeling it um 
you know when you go on vacation or when you when you have you're having a great day and how that feels like all the feels that you have from like um like for for instance Christmas I am doing a really bad job of this but for let, let me just say Christmas Christmas I love so much like the entire holiday season and I love it because of the nostalgia of Christmas and how it was to spend Christmas with all of my family. My mom had um, nine brothers and sisters. So all of those, you know, aunts and uncles, my grandma, my grandpa, my grandfather, I never called him grandpa, but my grandfather, my cousins, all of us, you know, my grandmother used to make us dress up. You know, I used to always have on something velvet. So (laughs) all of that, the nostalgia is why I love the holiday season. You know, I'm from Chicago, so we used to go. um, It wasn't like Black Friday wasn't the way crazy it is today. But we used to get up and go shopping downtown. Um, I remember uh, going shopping in the water tower, you know, you know, things like that. That's. Just not something that we used to do every day. So going shopping the day after Thanksgiving at the Water Tower or just up north or downtown is, you know, something that I remember of my childhood and it made me feel good. You know what I mean? So it's the nostalgia of the season and the feelings that it evokes that I love about the holidays. And so this is kind of... um I guess what I am getting from this, the difference in thinking from your wish fulfilled and seeing from your wish fulfilled. And I really believe I just wasted like three minutes of your life with all of those explanations. I am so sorry. Let me get back to reading. It is the frequency, not the length of time that makes it natural. That to which you constantly return constitutes your truest self. Frequent occupancy of the feeling of the wish fulfilled is the secret of success. Wow, 25 minutes and I only did one chapter. So I'm at least try to do chapter 23. I'm going to try to stop talking so much. So it's really just going to be 22 and 23. I was trying to get like four chapters in, but clearly I talked too much. So chapter 23 is literally just case histories. It will be extremely helpful at this point to cite a number of specific examples of the successful application of this law. Actual case histories are given. In each of these, the problem was clearly defined and the way imagination was used to attain the required state of consciousness is fully described. In each of these instances, the author of this book was either personally concerned or was told the facts by the person involved. So that was not Neville Goddard's voice that just spoke or you know what I mean okay so number one this is a story with every detail of which I am personally familiar so this is back to Neville Goddard speaking in the spring of 1943 a recently drafted soldier was stationed in a large army camp in Louisiana he was intensely eager to get out of the army but only in an entirely honorable way The only way he could do this was to apply for a discharge. The application then required the approval of his commanding officer to become effective. Based on army regulations, the decision of the commanding officer was final and could not be appealed. The soldier, following all the necessary procedure, applied for a discharge 
Within four hours, this application was returned marked disapproved. Convinced he could not appeal the decision to any higher authority, military, or civilian, he turned within to his own consciousness, determined to rely on the law of assumption. The soldier realized that his consciousness was the only reality, that his particular state of consciousness determined the events he would encounter. That night, in the interval between getting into bed and falling asleep, he concentrated on consciously using the law of assumption. In imagination, he felt himself to be in his own apartment in New York City. He visualized his apartment that is in his mind's eye. He actually saw his own apartment, mentally picturing each one of the familiar rooms with all the furnishings vividly real. With this picture clearly visualized and lying flat on his back, he completely relaxed physically. In this way, he induced a state bordering on sleep, at the same time retaining control of the direction of his attention. When his body was completely immobilized, he assumed that he was in his own room and felt himself to be lying in his own bed, a very different feeling from, the, from that of lying on an army cot. In imagination, he rose from the, the bed, walked from room to room, touching various pieces of furniture. He then went to the window and with his hands resting on those seal, looked out on the street on which he, his apartment faced. So vivid was all this in his imagination that he saw in great detail the pavement, the railings, the trees, and the familiar red brick of the building on the opposite side of the street. He then returned to his bed and felt himself drifting off to sleep. He knew that it was most important in the successful use of this law that at the actual point of falling asleep, his consciousness be filled with the assumption that he was already what he wanted to be. All that he did in imagination was based on the assumption that he was no longer in the army. Night after night, the soldier enacted this drama. Night after night, in imagination, he felt himself honorably discharged back in his home, seeing all the familiar surroundings and falling asleep in his own bed. This continued for eight nights. For eight days, his objective experience continued to be directly opposite to his subjective experience and consciousness each night before going to sleep. On the ninth day, orders came through from battalion headquarters for the soldier to fill out a new application for his discharge. Shortly after this was done, he was ordered to report to the colonel's office. During the discussion, the colonel asked him if he was still desirous of getting out of the army. Upon receiving an affirmative reply, the colonel said that he personally disagreed and while he had strong objections to approving of the discharge, he had to decided to overlook those objections and to approve it. Within a few hours, the application was approved and the soldier, now a civilian, was on a train bound for home. So this right here gives me a different outlook. Like I, um, you know, I read the uh, book, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind, and it, t it, it touched on a lot of what, you know, we just read. But one thing it, it didn't really go into was this right here, which I think is really kind of the key that I have been missing. 
And maybe you've been missing too. It says for eight days, his objective experience continued to be directly opposite to his subjective experience and consciousness each night before going to sleep. So it made a point to state that this man at night when he did this and he felt himself in the feeling of the wish fulfilled, each day as he sat in his reality, which was opposite to what he did at night, he knew both states. And I think that is kind of where the disconnect was for me. How do you? How do I live in both states when I'm trying to live and the wish fulfilled? When especially with what I'm seeing in my mind, no, what I'm seeing in my reality, and that is kind of where I've been trying to marry the two. When there, I guess there's no need to marry the two because he acknowledged his reality, but at night he lived in in the wish fulfilled. Does that make sense? Because it is, it is making sense to me that I don't have to marry the two. I just have to acknowledge that there are two states. The feeling of the wish fulfilled and the current state. They don't have to be married. And that to me is a huge aha. That is a huge aha. They don't have to be married. Because I've literally been trying to marry these two states to make them one. And I didn't understand, I didn't realize um, how to marry them. But I also didn't realize how I could have both states. But it, it seems as if I can have both states. I just have to make sure that I'm living in the feeling of the wish fulfilled at night, right before I drift off to sleep. And continue that process until the wish fulfilled becomes my reality. That is dope. And that is my aha moment of the day. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm so glad I decided to stop cleaning my refrigerator and come (laughs) and record this episode. I am literally stoked. Okay, number two. This is a striking story of an extremely successful businessman demonstrating the power of imagination and the law of assumption. I know this family intimately, and all the details were told to me by the son described herein. The story begins when he was 20 years old. He was next to the oldest in a large family of nine brothers and one sister. Oh, that sister must have had hell in her life. (laughs) The father was one of the partners in a small merchandising business. In his 18th year, the brother referred to in this story left the country in which they lived and traveled 2,000 miles to enter college and complete his education. Shortly after his first year in college, he was called home because of a tragic event in connection with his father's business. Through the machinations of his associates, the father was not only forced out of his business, but was the object of false accusations impugning his character and integrity. At the same time, he was deprived of his rightful share in the equity of the business. The result was he found himself largely discredited and almost penniless. It was under these circumstances that the son was called home from college. He returned, his heart filled with one great resolution. He was determined that he would become outstandingly successful in business. The first thing he and his father did was to use the little money they had to start their own business. 
They rented a small store on a side street not far from the large business of which the father had been one of the principal owners. There they started a business bent upon real service to the community. It was shortly thereafter that the son, with instinctive awareness that it was bound to work, deliberately used imagination to to attain an almost fantastic objective. Every day on the way to and from work, he passed the building of his father's former business, the biggest business of its kind in the country. It was one of the largest buildings with the most prominent location in the heart of the city. On the outside of the building was a huge sign on which the name of the firm was was painted in large, bold letters. Day after day, as he passed by, a great dream took shape in the son's mind. He thought of how wonderful it would be if it was his family that had this great building, his family that owned and operated this great business. One day, as he stood gazing at the building in his imagination, he saw a completely different name on the huge sign across the entrance. Now, the large letters spelled out his family name. In these case histories, actual names are not used for the sake of clarity. In this story, we will use hypothetical names and assume that the son's family name was Lord, what? Lordered. Lordered. Okay. Where the sign read F.N. Moth and Company. In imagination, he actually saw the name letter by letter in Lordered and Sons. He remained looking at the sign with his eyes wide open, imagining that it read in Lordered and Sons. I wonder why they picked the name Lordered. Like, okay. Twice a day, week after week, month after month, for two years, he saw his family name over the front of that building. He was convinced that if he felt strongly enough that a thing was true, it was bound to be the case. And by seeing in imagination his family name on the sign, which implied that they owned the business, he became convinced that one day they would own it. During this period, he told only one person what he was doing. He confided in his mother, who with loving concern, tried to discourage him in order to protect him from what might be a great disappointment. Despite this, he persisted day after day. And that is one of the reasons, nothing against the mom, but that's one of the reasons why you keep your goals and your dreams to yourself. Get a journal and write it out and keep it to you because like like you know no you know nothing disrespect to the mom but when you are not on the same level mentally with other people and they cannot understand you and how you are going about your life in love they may discourage you that doesn't mean they don't love you and aren't looking out for you but they can only encourage or discourage as to what they believe not where you are and where you believe so as much as possible keep your dreams to you and that is for real because once you uh, tell someone you are giving them permission to give you advice or giving them permission to even respond in any way and while they may love you They may not be mentally at the same place you are. So their encouragement or discouragement either way may discourage you and put doubt in your mind. So that's just a little caveat. 
Two years later, the large company failed and the coveted building was up for sale. On the day of the sale, he seemed no nearer ownership than he had been two years before when he began to apply the law of assumption. During this period, they had worked hard and their customers had implicit confidence in them. However, they had not earned anything like the amount of money required for the purchase of the property, nor did they have any source from which they could borrow the necessary capital. Making even more remote their chance of getting it was the fact that this was regarded as the most desirable property in the city and a number of wealthy business people were prepared to buy it. On the actual day of the sale, to their complete surprise, a man, almost a total stranger, came into their shop and offered to buy the property for them. Due to some unusual conditions involved in this transaction, the son's family could not even make a bid for the property. They thought the man was joking. However, this was not the case. The man explained that he had watched them for some time, admired their ability, believed in their integrity, and that supplying the capital for them to go into business on a large scale was an extremely sound investment for him. That very day, the property was theirs. What the son had persisted in seeing in his imagination was now a reality. The hunch of the stranger was more than justified. Today, this family owns not only the particular business referred to, but owns many of the largest industries in the country in which they live. The son seeing his family name over the entrance of this great building long before it was actually there was using exactly the technique that produces results by assuming the feeling that he already had what he desired by making this a vivid reality in his imagination by determined persistence Regardless of appearance or circumstance, he inevitably caused his dream to become a reality. Now that, both of those things, I think, um, number one and number two, are definitely plausible. I think the reason why number one worked faster was because really it only involved him. And yes, his boss had to sign off on it, but it was only about him. And number two, it was about an entire company. And I think that is the reason why number two took a little bit longer because it wasn't about just the the guy seeing it for his family. It had to work in his favor against the other company, right? So for me, um, that's why I say it's plausible in both aspects. It is. So I would definitely try number one for... I don't know, for whatever, whatever you're trying to attain that doesn't have to do with a lot of other people, try number one. Definitely try number one. I am definitely going to try number one. Um, and, you know, maybe for my book sales, but again, that has to do with other people. So I'm not really sure how that part goes. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. Let's keep going or so I'll keep talking. <laughs> Number three, this is the story of a very unexpected result of an interview with a lady who come who came to consult me. One afternoon, a young grandmother, a businesswoman in New York, came to see me. She brought along her nine-year-old grandson, who was visiting her from his home in Pennsylvania. In response to her questions, I explained the law of assumption, describing in detail the procedure to be allowed in attaining an objective. The boy sat quietly, apparently absorbed in a small toy truck, 
while I explained to the grandmother the method of assuming the state of consciousness that would be hers were her desire already fulfilled. I told her the story of the soldier in camp who each night fell asleep imagining himself to be in his own bed in his own home. When the boy and his grandmother were leaving, he looked up at me with great excitement and said, I know what I want and now I know how to get it. Surprised, I asked him what it was he wanted. He told me he had his heart set on a puppy. To this, the grandmother vigorously protested, telling the boy that it had been made clear repeatedly that he could not have a dog under any circumstances, that his father and mother would not allow it, that the boy was too young to care for it properly, and furthermore, the father had a deep dislike for dogs. He actually hated to have one around. All these were arguments the boy passionately desires of having a dog refused to understand. Now I know what to do, he said. Every night, just as I am going off to sleep, I am going to pretend that I have a dog and we are going going for a walk. No, said the grandmother. That is not what Mr. Neville means. That is what he meant. <laughs> this was not meant for you. You cannot have a dog. Grandma is tripping. Approximately six weeks later, the grandmother told me what was to, to her an astonishing story. The boy's desire to own a dog was so intense that he had absorbed all that I had told his grandmother of how to attain one's desire, and he believed implicitly that at last he knew how to get a dog. Putting this belief into practice for many nights, the boy imagined a dog was lying in his bed beside him. In imagination, he petted the dog, actually feeling its fur. Things like playing with the dog and taking it for a walk filled his mind. Within a few weeks, it happened. A newspaper in the city in which the boy lived organized a special program in connection with Kindness to Animals Week. All school children were requested to write an essay on why I would like to own a dog. After entries from all the schools were submitted and judged, the winner of the contest was announced. The very same boy who weeks before in my apartment in New York had told me, now I know how to get a dog, was the winner. In an elaborate ceremony, which, were, which was publicized with stories and pictures in the newspaper, the boy was awarded a beautiful collie puppy. In relating this story, the grandmother told me that if the boy had been given the money with which to buy a dog, the parents would have refused to do so and would have used it to buy a bond for the boy or put it in the savings bank for him. Furthermore, if someone had made the boy a gift of a dog, they would have refused it or given it away. But the dramatic manner in which they, the boy got the dog, the way he won the citywide contest, the stories and pictures in the newspaper, the pride of achievement and joy of the boy himself, all combined to bring about a change of heart in the parents, and they found themselves doing that which they never conceived possible. They allowed him to keep the dog. All this the grandmother explained to me, and she concluded by saying that there was one particular kind of dog in, in which the boy had his heart set. It was a collie. Now, I also um, think that I've been going about a lot of things wrong. <clears throat> like, I put a particular amount of sales that I want, a particular dollar amount, a particular this, a particular that. And these first three stories are literally just living in the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And my my actual feeling or the state that I want to be in 
is a best-selling author, a host and creator of a podcast that has millions of listeners. And I want to travel and write and, and, and create and host my podcast. That's literally what I want to do. And in the backdrop of that is, of course, you know, posting to social media, having, you know, being a social media influencer by, you know, kind of influencing people to use gratitude as a way to uplift their souls every single day. Because I think this world is just going down, down, down. And um, I just feel like gratitude can help lift people up, lift up the vibe of the, the, the world, really. So that's kind of where, um, what it is that I want. But maybe I'm going too far to the left by putting numbers in there. When numbers really don't have anything to do with it. So I think I may have to rearrange some things. Okay, so number four. This was told by the aunt in the story to the entire audience at the conclusion of one of my lectures. During the question period following uh, my lecture on the law of assumption, a lady who had attended many lectures and had personal consultation with me on a number of occasions rose and asked permission to tell a story illustrating how she had successfully used the law. She said that upon returning home from the lecture the week before, she had found her niece distressed and terribly upset. The husband of the niece, who was an officer in the Army Air Force stationed in Atlantic City, had just been ordered, along with the rest of his unit, to active duty in Europe. She tearfully told her aunt that the reason she was upset was that she had been hoping her husband would be assigned to Florida as an instructor. They both loved Florida and were anxious to be stationed there and not to be separated. Upon hearing this story, the aunt stated that there was only one thing to do, and that was to apply immediately the law of assumption. Let's actualize it, she said. If you were actually in Florida, what would you do? You would feel the warm breeze. You would smell the salt air. You would feel your toes sinking down into the sand. Well, let's do all that right now. They took off their shoes and turning out the lights in imagination, they felt themselves actually in Florida, feeling the warm breeze, smelling the sea air, pushing their toes into the sand. 48 hours later, the husband received a change of orders. His new instructions were to report immediately to Florida as an Air Force instructor. Five days later, his wife was on a train to join him. While the aunt in order to help her niece to attain her desire, joined in with the niece in assuming the state of consciousness required, she did not go to Florida. That was not her desire. On the other hand, that was the intense longing of the niece. Now, I think that is deep, that someone else can join in with you and um, helping you to attain your desire. I think that is deep, and that's probably something I'll do with my niece. Okay, number five, this case is especially interesting because the short interval of time between the application of this law of assumption and its visible manifestation. A very prominent woman came to me in deep concern. She maintained a lovely city apartment and a a large country home, but because the many demands made upon her were greater than her modest income, it was absolutely essential that she rent her apartment if she and her family were to spend the summer at their country home. 
In previous years, the apartment had been rented without difficulty early in the spring, but the day she came to me, the rental season for summer sublets was over. The apartment had been in the hands of the best real estate agent for months, but no one had been interested even in coming to see it. When she had described her predicament, I explained how the law of assumption could be brought to bear on solving her problem. I suggested by imagining the apartment had been rented by a person desiring immediate occupancy and by assuming that this was the case, her apartment actually would be rented. In order to create the necessary feeling of naturalness, the feeling that it was already a fact that her apartment was rented, I suggested that she drift off and to sleep that very night, imagining herself not in her apartment, but in whatever place she would sleep where the apartment suddenly rented. She quickly grasped the idea and said that in such a situation, she would sleep in her country home, even though it was not yet open for the summer. This interview took place on Thursday. At 9 o'clock the following Saturday morning, she phoned me from her home in the country, excited and happy. She told me that on Thursday night, she had fallen asleep, actually imagining and feeling that she was sleeping in her other bed in her country home, many miles away from the city apartment she was occupying. On Friday, the very next day, a highly desirable tenant one who met all her requirements as a responsible person not only rented the apartment, but rented it on the condition that he could move in that very day. So as you guys can see, this is going to be a pretty long episode because we are 52 minutes in and we're still reading. Okay, so number six. Only the most complete and intense use of the law of assumption could have produced such results in this extreme situation. Four years ago, a friend of our family asked that I talk with his 28-year-old son who was not expected to live. He was suffering from a rare heart disease. This disease resulted in a disintegration of the organ. Wow. Long and costly medical care had been of no avail. Doctors held out no hope for recovery. For a long time, the son had been confined to his bed. His body had shrunk to almost a skeleton and he could talk and breathe only with great difficulty. His wife and two small children were home when I called and his wife was present throughout our discussion. I started by telling him that there was only one solution to any problem and that solution was a change of attitude. Since talking exhausted him, I asked him to nod in agreement if he understood clearly what I said. This he agreed to do. I described the facts underlying the law of consciousness, in fact, that consciousness was the only reality. I told him that the way to change any condition was to change his state of consciousness concerning it as a specific aid in helping him to assume the feeling of already being well. I suggested that in imagination he see the doctor's face expressing incredulous amazement and finding him recovered contrary to all reason from the last stages of an incurable disease that he see himself double checking his in his examination and hear him saying over and over it's a miracle it's a miracle I just wanted to reiterate this part it says that um, I told him that the way to change any condition was to change the state of consciousness concerning it. And the reason why I decided to do that, because I've said many times on the podcast that I was um, 
diagnosed with gastritis in 2019. Um, And, you know, I believe that our body is self-healing, but I also believe that it starts in the mind. And when your mind is a jumbled mess there and there's so much going on in your life, sometimes you don't, you're not in the um, place to change kind of the consciousness. But I will say that I went from being in constant pain and in constant 24-7 nauseated state to like literally no pain and I haven't been nauseous in over a year. So that, this definitely works because I did do this. Um, But I'm not, you know, 100% healed, um, which is the state that I am obviously wanting to be. But I did just want to state that, yes, that does work. He not only understood all this clearly, but he believed it implicitly. He promised that he would faithfully follow this procedure. His wife, who had been listening intently, assured me that she too would be diligently using the law of assumption in her imagination in the same way as her husband. The following day, I sailed for New York, all this taking place during a winter vacation in the tropics. Several months later, I received a letter saying the son had made a miraculous recovery. On my next visit, I met him in person. He was in perfect health actively engaged in business and thoroughly enjoying the many social activities of his friends and family. He told me that from the day I left, he never had any doubt that it would work. He described how he had faithfully followed the suggestion I had made to him and day after day had lived completely in the assumption of already being well and strong. Now, four years after his recovery, he is convinced that the only reason he is clearly he is here today is due to his successful use of the law of assumption. And I also believe that a lot of times people deteriorate faster because they put more um, faith in doctors than in the fact that their body was made self-healing. So when your doctor says you have a terminal illness and you have so-and-so amount of months to die, you automatically start deteriorating right then because you believe what he's saying instead of believing that your body can turn it around because it is made self-healing. And I think that is the difference that when people start deteriorating fast because they believe the word of this fallible human instead of believing the body that God made us with. So I, to me, there it, that is definitely a difference. Okay, number seven. This story illustrates the successful use of the law by a New York business executive. In the fall of 1950, an executive of one of New York's prominent banks discussed with me a serious problem with which he was confronted. He told me that the outlook for his personal progress and advancement was very dim. Having reached middle age and feeling that a marked improvement in position and income was justified, he had talked it out with his superiors. They frankly told him that any major improvement was impossible and intimated that if he was dissatisfied, he could seek another job. This, of course, only increased his uneasiness. In our talk, he explained that he had no great desire for really big money, but that he had to have a substantial income in order to maintain his home comfortably and to provide for the education of his children in good preparatory schools and colleges. This he found impossible on his present income. The refusal of the bank to assure him of any advancement in the near future resulted in a feeling of discontentment 
and intense desire to secure a better position with considerably more money. He confided in me that the kind of job he would like better than anything in the world was none was excuse me was one in which he managed the investment funds of a large institution such as a foundation or great university. In explaining the law of assumption, I stated that his present situation was only a manifestation of his concept of himself and declared that if he wanted to change the circumstances in which he found himself, he could do so by changing his concept of himself. In order to bring about this change of consciousness and thereby a change in his situation, I asked him to follow the procedure every night just before he fell asleep. In imagination, he was to feel he was retiring at the end of one of the most important and successful days of his life. He was to imagine that he had actually closed a deal that very day to join the kind of organization he yearned to be with and in exactly the capacity he wanted. I suggested to him that if he succeeded in completely filling his mind with this feeling, he would experience a a definite sense of relief. In this mood, his uneasiness and discontent would be a thing of the past. He would feel the contentment that comes with the fulfillment of desire. I wound up assuring him that if he did this faithfully, he would inevitably get the kind of position he wanted. This was the first week of December. Night after night, without exception, he followed this procedure. Early February, a director of one of the wealthiest foundations in the world asked this executive if he would be interested in joining the foundation in an executive capacity handling investments. After some brief discussion, he accepted. Today, at a substantially higher income and with the assurance of steady progress, this man is in a position for exceeding all that he had hoped for. That is dope. So those of you who are at a job, especially in corporate America, or whatever profession that you're in and you're wanting to advance, that was a good one for you. That was a good one for you. Number eight, the man and wife in this story have attended my lectures for a number of years. It is an interesting illustration of the conscious use of this law by two people concentrating on the same objective at one time. This man and wife were an exceptionally devoted couple Their life was completely happy and entirely free from any problems or frustrations. For some time, they had planned to move into a larger apartment. The more they thought about it, the more they realized that what they had their hearts set on was a beautiful penthouse. And discussing it together, the husband explained that he wanted one with a huge window looking out on a magnificent view. The wife said she would like to have one side of the walls mirrored from top to bottom. They both wanted to have a wood-burning fireplace. It was a must that the apartment be in New York City. For months, they had searched for just such an apartment in vain. In fact, the situation in the city was such that the securing of any kind of apartment was almost an, an impossibility. They were so scarce that not only were there waiting lists for them, but all sorts of special deals, including premiums, the buying of furniture, etc. were involved. New apartments were being leased long before they were completed, many being rented from the blueprints of the building. Early in the spring, after months of fruitless seeking, they finally located one 
which they seriously considered. It was a penthouse apartment in a building just being completed on Upper Fifth Avenue, facing, facing Central Park. It had one serious drawback. Being a new building, it was not subject to rent control, and the couple felt the yearly rental was exorbitant. In fact, it was several thousand dollars a year more than they had considered paying. During the spring months of March and April, they continued looking at various penthouses throughout the city, but they always came back to this one. Finally, they decided to increase the amount they would pay substantially and made a proposition which the agent for the building agreed to forward to the owners for consideration. It was at this point without discussing it with each other, each determined to apply the law of assumption. It was not until later that each learned what the other had done. Night after night, they both fell asleep in imagination in the apartment that they were considering. The husband lying with his eyes closed would imagine that his bedroom windows were overlooking the park. He would imagine going to the window the first thing in the morning and enjoying the view. He felt himself sitting on the terrace overlooking the park, having cocktails with his wife and friends, all thoroughly enjoying it. He filled his mind with actually feeling himself in the penthouse and on the terrace. During all this time, unknown to him, his wife was doing the same thing. Several weeks went by without any decision on the part of the owners, but they continued to imagine as they fell asleep each night that they were actually sleeping in the penthouse. One day, to their complete surprise, one of the employees in the apartment building in which they lived told them that the penthouse there was vacant. They were astonished because theirs was one of the most desirable buildings in the city with the perfect location right on Central Park. They knew there was a long waiting list of people trying to get an apartment in their building. The fact that a penthouse had unexpectedly become available was kept quiet by the management because they were not in a position to consider any applicants for it. Upon learning that it was vacant, this couple immediately made a request that it be rented to them. Only to be able, I'm sorry, only to be told that this was impossible. The fact was that not only were there several people on a waiting list for a penthouse in the building, but it was actually promised to one family. Despite this, the couple had a series of meetings with the management at the conclusion of which the apartment was theirs. The building being subject to rent control, their rental was just about what they had planned to pay when they first started looking for a penthouse. The location, the apartment itself, and the large terrace surrounding it on the south, west, and north was beyond all their expectations. And in the living room on one side is a giant window 15 feet by 8 feet with the magnificent view of Central Park. One wall is mirrored from floor to ceiling and there is a wood-burning fireplace. That's pretty deep. So... For these, this chapter, it was pretty long, and this episode is over an hour long. I'm sorry for that. But I felt the need to show you guys all of these different ways that this law of assumption can work. Just literally, before going to sleep at night, just imagining yourself living in the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Whatever it is your dream, that the part that it didn't say, but... Um, that I'm going to say to you is that you have to be clear on whatever it is that you want. Set your intentions for 
your dreams? What what kind of goals do you want? What you know, what it is what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Is it, you know, selling a house, buying a house, buying a new car, getting a new job, getting a promotion at your job, or in my case, selling some books? <laughs> Whatever it is that you're trying to do, write that out and then live in the feeling of the wish fulfilled. But make sure that you are writing it and be and being clear and concise on whatever it is that you want. And try to focus on the dream itself, not the how or the when or the where. And that, I think, has been my hang-up because I haven't been focused on the dream of being a successful writer. I've been focusing on selling this amount of books instead of being focused on being a successful writer and what comes with being a successful writer doing you know meet and greets and you know that kind of thing whatever it comes with being a successful writer is what I need to be concentrating on not the demographics of you know when you sold or how much you sold that is what I've been concentrating on and that is not my part and that is probably where and why I have not achieved my goal I've been concentrating on the wrong aspect of being a successful writer so I am very glad I neglected finishing cleaning my (laughs) my refrigerator to record today I am going to go back and clean it, but I am glad that I stopped because I was just, you don't understand, my nerves were so bad. Like it was seeing my page pop back up on Facebook with my name and my face on it and not having access to it, it put me in a foul disposition. So being, you know, stopping to record has, has done what it's always supposed to do. It lifts my spirits. It raises my vibes. It, it puts me in a great mood. So I am thankful that I stopped and recorded today. I hope that you guys listen, have listened all the way through this recording and have gotten something that yourselves. So I'm going to end this here before I continue to talk you to death. Don't forget to add gratitude as a daily practice in your life. I promise you, your life will change once you add the daily practice of gratitude. You guys have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talks with the Gratitude Chick. I am your host, Luanza, a.k.a. the Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to subscribe and give my podcast five stars. If you have not already, join my Facebook group, Babes Who Manifest.